Blog Talk Radio. It's time for Lickin' On Lending. Welcome, everybody. Good to have you with us. Welcome to Lickin' On Lending, a weekly mortgage market update providing up-to-the-minute information on interest rates, loan programs, and hot industry news, all related to the mortgage industry. Brought to you by Transformational Mortgage Solutions. To participate in today's program, our guest call-in line is 646 716 Four nine seven two. Now here's your host of Lickin' on Lending, David Lickin. Let's begin. Welcome everybody. It is Monday, February fourteenth, Valentine's Day. So here's the big question. I came downstairs uh, this morning to make my coffee and get ready, and my wife had already set out a Valentine, Valentine's, you know, the cards, some nice things out there for me. This is the first year I actually had bought a Valentine's card far enough in advance, but I had to go find it. But anyway. It was really fun. So how many of you guys out there scramble to go get, remember, oh, it's Valentine's Day, and you're scrambling to go out. I'd love to hear from you. Text me, tell me how you prepare in advance, like I did this year, which is so out of character for me. And how many of you actually are, uh, uh, are actually scrambling here on this day going, dang, stuck up on me again. Anyway, we're grateful to have you as our listener, Mr. Van, Mr. and Mrs. Valentine out there. So the Valentine's greetings to you all. This podcast is created by mortgage professionals. It is for mortgage professionals. And we're grateful to have you as our listener. Again, our commitment is to bring you timely information in an audio format that you can listen to anytime, anywhere. And we have in our Hot Topic segment some really interesting information. We've got Russ Anderson joining us with joining Jack and I, and uh, of course, the rest of the podcast team. Uh, but Jack and Russ used to work together uh, at Texas Capital Bank. We're going to be talking about some really interesting topics. I mean, a lot of mortgage bankers don't necessarily think about cash management, but we're going to get you awakened to that and um, a, a what what can be as a way of what it can mean to you. So anyway, uh, both Russ and Jack have retired in one sense, but they're still involved in the mortgage industry. We're thrilled to have them. But this is a really important topic for IMBs that uh, when it comes to basic cash management. And you think, well, we're a small little company. We don't have to. We're not subject to that. Well, guess what? You are. And you're going to benefit from today's podcast. So I'm looking forward to having you on all the way through to the Hot Topic segment. Let's say a special thank you to Industry Syndicate. Thrilled with them and the promotion of our podcast. We promote them. They promote us. And along with a whole lot of other podcasts, I encourage you to check out industrysyndicate.com. Also, the Mortgage Bankers Association of America. You should become a member of that. But please also be signed up for the Mortgage Action Alliance application. Thrilled with their our participation and all that the MBA does for us. Also, Finastra. We've got another conference coming up with Finastra at the ICBA conference down in San Antonio. Very exciting. Some of the things going on within Finastra. We also have uh, uh, Chris uh, coming up, who's the president of the Americas um, division, part of Finastra. Again, they're an international company. But I do encourage you to go back and listen to the October 4th interview we did with Karen Jenkins. Uh, which talk about their strategy and how they design their system. It's an open architecture uh, that they have designed that really allows other vendors to connect in with Fusion Mortgage Bot Solution. Great to have them as a sponsor, as well as Lenders One and the Mortgage Collaborative. We got two conferences coming up. Both of these organizations, again, are co-ops that allow you to get up and close with your peers as well as vendors. We're members of both of these 
co-ops. And uh, that's a great way for you to, again, find out what's going on with people that at, in, a, in a smaller, more intimate setting where more is shared. So we've got the Lenders One coming up at the end of March, and we've got the Lenders One coming up at the beginning of March. So just made my hotel reservations for both of them. Looking forward to being there. Also really excited about having Total Expert as our one of our newest sponsors. They're doing a great job of helping people connect with consumers. And so be sure to check out Total Expert. They're well-known in the industry. Uh, so don't have to say a lot, but I'm for those of you that have not checked out Total Expert, please do so. I encourage you to We have more information on them in, in upcoming podcasts. Also, Knowledge Coop, great way to sign up for their on, upcoming new releases. Go to trythecoop, C-O-O-P.com, and um, get signed up. They'll be releasing the new version, and you'll get updates um, along the way, but they're releasing the new version on April 1st. Then also, then there's Mobility MMI and Modex, really intelligent tools that these two companies have uh, on recruiting and getting insights. I was talking to one of my clients earlier today, uh, the folks over at 3AM. We refer to them at Alcova. We're talking about the importance of the data that you can get that really helps you. And I, I wonder how many of you are communicating, using these tools to really communicate out to your branches the intelligence. So it's great for recruiting, but the data that they have in both of these systems allow you to get insights into the real estate community and who, I mean, who being the realtors is selling what, and it gives you down to the transaction level, powerful tool, got mobility MMI, as well as Modex, both in our website, as well as uh, by just going directly to their to their uh, websites. But anyway, also SnapDocs, thrilled to have them as a sponsor with over 3 million mortgage closings this year that they've done. They work with title companies. They work with notaries. I mean, it's, it's, and lenders. It's just a powerful tool. If you're not familiar with that, that company, what they're doing, check it out. Also check out the interview I did with Vishal Rana, who is uh, back in September 13th of last year, as well as Success Kit. Thrilled to have them as a sponsor. They're a very effective way to reach our, your audience through your own words. Uh, not, excuse me, not through your own words, but through the testimonies of your clients or your customers. We're using them more and more. I'm just so thrilled with what the quality of what they do. Check out successkit.io. Also, Lenders Toolkit is one of our newer sponsors. Thrilled to have Brent Emler and, uh, uh, with us as well as Brett. Uh, excited to be a part of that organization, what all that they do. I was talking to Kimberly Nichols, one of our other newest sponsors, Penny Mac. Thrilled to see what they're doing. And it's the new name is Penny Mac TPO. That's how they branded it. And so check out Penny Mac TPO. Go back and listen to the interview we had with Kim Nichols on November 1st of this last year. Finally, also DW Consulting. Debbie Wemus does a great job of helping you prepare your LinkedIn profile. Appreciate all of our sponsors, thank you so much. Also, special thank you goes out to Rob, Les, Alice, Alan, Matt, and Jack as the co-hosts. Let's, uh, we normally would go out to Rob Van Rapphorst at this point to get the MBA Mortgage Minute, but they're not publishing today. We're, they, they didn't send us one, and we also, Alice told me earlier that they didn't publish on their website so or send out the um, MBA uh, news link. So not sure why. Maybe they're celebrating Valentine's or a little bit like Jack suggested earlier for the pre-call. Maybe a little too much celebrating the new uh, the uh, Super Bowl. Anyway, let's get over to Les Parker with his TM Spotlight and a macro review of the markets. Les? TM Spotlight Soundbite is brought to you by Power Seller, making hedging easy. Win a bull. 
loves a market. Can't keep its mind on rich or cheap. The premise that perception is reality leads to detrimental fantasy. Ask a man that thinks he understands his valentine thoroughly and then gets a sharp no when he asks to split the check. His perception meets reality. In the financial world, markets price all perceptions expressed in a buy or sell. Perception is how each investor sees the world. Reality is the price of each financial instrument, rich or cheap. Doesn't matter. When a bull loves a market. These views are my own. Find love for markets at tmspotlight.com. Oh, yeah. Les Barker, great song choice on the Valentine's Day. So he tied in a, a something Valentine's there, Matt, uh, in with what's going on on the market. Anyway, Matt, good to have you here. Matt Graham, founder and CEO of MBS Live, a must-have technology a website that keeps you up at the top of the markets. I've got it open all the time, mbslive.net. Matt, what's going on today? Hey, David. So uh, the bond market, right? Things have been pretty crazy past uh, couple of weeks. In fact, past month or so, as we are continually in the process of repricing our expectations for Fed policy. And that is the broad stroke. That's why rates are rising. And there are no other reasons unless we want to trace them back to their root causes and things like inflation and whatnot. But the big moves followed the Fed. And last week we had a, uh, well, it was a very interesting Thursday. Let's put it that way. CPI, Consumer Price Index, came out on Thursday. And uh, I personally don't often get surprised, as surprised as I was on Thursday, to see the extent of the market reaction given the data that came across. So, for example, uh, you know, core CPI is probably what we focus on more than anything. And that's uh, historically, you know, before COVID, that's what the Fed was trying to get to stay around 2%. And then after they released their revised inflation framework, they said, well, it could be between 2 and 2.5 over time. And, uh, of course, COVID threw that out the window. And now we're sort of uh, scrambling to do what we can to deal with inflation that appears to be more than transitory. Uh, it's questionable as to whether or not Fed policy is going to make much of a dent in something that is largely supply-side driven. But nonetheless, the Fed is eager to uh, tighten policy, and the market is eager to view things like CPI as uh, impacting the Fed's decision-making process. Case in point, CPI came in at 6.0 versus 5.9 forecast, a 0.1% beat. Um and that is a very small beat, and it is not the size of beat that would normally coincide with major movement in the bond market. This time, however, <laughs> it sent yields screaming to the highest levels in years. MBS sold off aggressively, and uh, rates shot up, you know, up and over 4% in most cases, and continue to be at 4% this week. So a very big reaction to a very small beat in CPI. Why might that have been the case? Uh, first off, it wasn't a necessarily a small jump from the previous month. So the previous month's reading for that particular metric was 5.5. So it's a half point increase in annual inflation. 
pretty big month over month, even though that was in line with economists' expectations almost. The other thought is that uh, the the market was hoping to see things moderate a bit more. They said, uh, wow, the market's already expecting four-tenths of a percent increase, so maybe we're not going to see quite that much. But then when we saw more, it was sort of uh, extra surprising. Uh, either way, the, the takeaway for financial markets was a very quick move to uh, price in additional rate hikes. Well, an additional uh, size in the rate hike that is already guaranteed to happen in March, pending utter catastrophe. And uh, it would be very weird for the Fed to hike by 50 basis points. Nonetheless, more than half of the market thought that, well, roughly half the market thought that before CPI, and almost the entire market thought that uh, after CPI, which is just, it's outrageous. We haven't had a 50 basis point hike in decades. And uh, the Fed's been pretty clear in communicating, hey, if we do that, we'll probably just hike once in March and once in May. Uh, nonetheless, the uh, rate hike expectations increased very quickly. That translated to higher rates across the curve, spilling over to 10-year yields. You know, it affects short-term yields more than anything, but it uh, definitely affected the long end as well. Later in the afternoon, mm-hmm. the Fed's President Bullard, who I have yeah. in the past characterized as a robot designed by the Fed to float trial <laughs> balloon ideas out to see if the market would, uh, how the market would react, did his normal thing of floating some crazy ideas out there, and the market definitely reacted. Um, in a nutshell, he just said he'd like to see 100 basis points of rate hikes by July and a 50 basis point hike at the March meeting. So just the very bleeding edge of the aggressive side of the Fed spectrum. Uh, there was a lot of attention paid to Bullard on the news. He was back on the news this morning. He was mm-hmm. not the biggest market mover on Thursday. It was interesting, and he did move markets, yeah. but just not as much as CPI. Um, but nonetheless, it sort of started this whole, um, I don't know. You, you see these things happen from time to time, especially mm-hmm. people who read Zero Hedge, uh, where we, we mm-hmm. get these ideas or, or an idea gets spun in a certain way that doesn't represent reality. And so, for instance, we have a scheduled Fed meeting, Fed uh, board meeting today that is just like many other Fed meetings that are scheduled in an obscure section of the site that people never go to. Uh, you know, the same meeting happened January 18th, December 14th, uh, December 6th, and November 16th, all of these closed door Fed meetings. But the, uh, the spin on it was that this was the Fed's way to announce an emergency rate hike. Preposterous. It's not happening. It won't happen. Uh, an emergency rate hike is pretty silly. I can see a need for an emergency rate cut, right, to soothe markets that are panicking about some some new shock. But you don't really need an emergency rate hike. And in any event, um, the details of this meeting were well known ahead of time to anybody who was paying rational attention. So I would urge the listenership not to jump to conclusions if you see a headline that says the Fed's going into this closed-door meeting to do an emergency rate hike. They're not. They are going to hike rates and probably a lot unless things change in terms of inflation, but they'll do that in the, at more of a measured pace. And if they do a 50 basis point hike, it, in my opinion, even though the numbers don't agree with me right now, in my opinion, it would still be more likely to happen uh, once in March and once in May, as opposed to 50 basis points all in March. So, uh, 
got a little bit sidetracked, and I know we need to wrap up, but uh, end of the week, everything reversed course in grand fashion with headlines regarding the likelihood of a Russian invasion of the Ukraine. So this gave us a risk-off bid to bonds, mm-hmm. a flight to safety, hurt stocks, and made for an uncertain weekend. Now, coming into the new week, we have comments from uh, Russian Foreign Minister Lavrov saying that, hey, guys, we're not invading Ukraine. We're still going to do the diplomacy thing. So believe him if you want or don't. I don't care, but markets believed him enough to um, bounce back in the other direction quite a bit. Ten-year yields back up and over 2%. MBS down almost three-eighths of a point. Rates definitely staying over 4% today. And uh, we're playing a waiting game, waiting to see if there is a Ukraine invasion that happens this week. That would be, a, you know, probably the key market mover if it happens, but uh, not enough in and of itself to change the narrative for rates unless things got pretty crazy. Definitely much more crazy than they got in uh, 2014. And I'm sure that is a justification for lower rates that we'd probably be fine avoiding for now. But uh, up, up and away for rates. and. Up. Waiting uh, yeah. to see if we can find some support. So we got some questions in from listeners, and then I want Jack to jump in on some of these uh, responses as well. But we're also hearing uh, one question came in is how much market movement do you anticipate in the event that Ukraine, I mean, Russia does invade Ukraine? That's question number one. Any thoughts? Mm-hmm. Or how much is baked yeah, so- in? I think it's really the question behind the question. Yeah, it it depends on the nature of uh, U.S. involvement and the magnitude of the conflict. So if it's anything like it was in 2014, uh, which we barely remember at this point, it has essentially no impact. And it didn't have an impact then either. Uh, A few headlines, you know, caused an intraday bump here and there, but it wasn't the thematic market mover. If the U.S. gets involved in a ground war with Russia in Ukraine, then, you know. Who really knows, right? So the counterpoint is that there is an inflation component because there's something about some oil over there. I don't know. And then that -hmm. could keep upward pressure on inflation and uh, could sort of offset some of the the bond buying motivations that might otherwise come from geopolitical conflict. Uh, Anyway, it would have to blow up and get really ugly for it to push back too meaningfully against the upward pressure that we're seeing from Fed policy expectations. So another question that came in uh, is Zero Hedge. You mentioned that in your report. Several people wrote and said, what is that? You go to zerohedge.com, folks, and you can go yeah, look or at don't, that. Or don't go there. That's, or you'll don't be go just there. as good if you don't. Yeah. Uh, that's what I was going to say. That's what there was. A, it, <laughs> they've heard a lot of conflict, and several says, don't use that. It's not good. Don't, don't go there. But uh, So there are a couple comments. Open questions. Is this a good website to go to, or is it just like, don't bother? So the, yeah, the thing about ZH, as, as we call it, is yep. they do yeah. a good job of um, putting out news wires quickly on their Twitter mm-hmm. feed, as do several other sites, mostly sites that ZH follows and then copies. But um, it, it's very sensationalistic, and they will they will twist a, a headline to make it seem like it's really interesting when, in fact, it's not. Uh, sometimes it is, and sometimes it's right, and sometimes they they actually have decent stories, but um, it, they're pretty reliably alarmist, sensationalistic, clickbait type of uh, reporting. Mm-hmm. Get eyeballs, not necessarily give out facts, or, or the way they give out the facts is questionable. Jack, you want any comments on today's market and this uh, up and the what, what Matt just reported on? Well, 
Yes, David. First of all, I agree with Matt. Geopolitical events uh, typically do not have uh, you know, a significant and lasting impact on the markets. Um, but, you know, one of the things that I, I just wanted to mention today, I love looking at prior period forecasts and matching them against mm-hmm. you know, the current reality. And, uh, you know, I was uh, looking this morning at the MBA's forecast for interest rates, and they had forecasted the 30-year fixed rate in Q4 to finally breach the 4% mark. So it looks like we got there a little bit quicker uh, than yeah. the forecast uh, that originally pegged. Um, you know, I was also reading a survey of the top 200 lenders in the United States, uh, their current pricing this morning. Uh, for a conventional 30-year fixed rate, 80% LTV, FICO, 700 to 760 on a purchase transaction, and it was 4.2%. And mm-hmm. uh, that really lines up with the NBA forecast for Q2 of 2023. So uh, looks like we're we're, you know, about a year ahead on the interest rate forecast. So it'll be interesting to see what that does for an already um, dismal uh, uh, projection for origination volume, what, you know, uh, 3.99 trillion uh, in 2021, forecasting a 2.6 trillion in in 2022. So, you know, we're looking at a 35% uh, decline in origination volume. Uh, uh, and and that may modify uh, because uh, we're already you know over four uh, percent today. So uh, just yeah. a couple interesting statistics to uh, give our uh, uh, viewership. Yeah, excellent stuff. Hey, one other question just came from one of our listeners, and it says, "Hey, we're looking at on the screen uh, their screens. They want to know is, is that they've adjusted their screens because the data wasn't showing before." There's a 30-year UMBS at 3%. Is what they're saying. Is that the best one to have up on the upper right-hand corner of MBS Live? Back. Yeah, that's why we put the gold star next to it. So yeah. 3.0s are arguably would uh, be inferior to 3.5s currently, but we have so much more liquidity in threes that uh, they're still the best place to watch for intraday risk and movement. Still waiting for 3.5s to find some better liquidity. Good job. I mean, lots of so much information on this website. Um, appreciate it very much. I, I love some of the comments about Penny Mac, one of our, our sponsors, and I forward some of that, Penny, that that information feedback over to them because I think it's a great website. Encouraging people to go there and look at it. Lots of chatter about who's doing what, and Penny Mac was in the news a bit in the, some of the chat columns there. So good job, Matt. Love what you're doing. Check out the website by going to MBS Live. .net, and when you sign up for the trial period, you can do so for an extended period without the use of a credit card. So appreciate it. Many, many of you already have signed up. Appreciate it. Alice Alvey, so good to have you here. Happy Valentine's Day to you. I was going to wish Matt happy Valentine's Day, but I'm going, a guy wishing a guy happy Valentine's Day. So <laughs> well, we don't really, we don't, my husband and I don't celebrate that. So I've heard guys, like like you said, of having the horror story of, oh my gosh, I forgot about it. And I'm like, okay, I, it, it's not a holiday for us. So <laughs> right, yeah. Andy's off the hook. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, he's off the hook. 
But anyway, I wanted to talk about a, two things that we've mentioned briefly in past reports, but felt like uh, I felt like I needed to get a little bit uh, more information out to all of our listeners. Uh, the first one is the Fannie and Freddie desktop appraisal topic. And just making sure everybody's geared up for this, um, March 6, LPA accept loan. So Freddie Mac picks up on this earlier on March 6. And Fannie Mae will have DU runs eligible for this on March 19th. Two new appraisal forms you want to make sure you've checked out. So the appraiser essentially will choose between a hybrid or a desktop appraisal based on whether or not they've ever done any field work on that subject property. But you'll look for the feedback message from the agency that says that the desktop is available to be used on that particular transaction. Um, so we've had, you know, some folks questioning what if the house has had lots of improvements? You know, what if it's really important for them mm -hmm. to get into the house? And if you read deep into the memos, you can see that, you know, interior photographs can be submitted, you know, by the, the builder if it's newer or if it's uh, the realtor. So there there are ways to make this work and still have get your appraisal back on time. So hopefully everybody's been able to think through their processes, think through change of circumstances, for example, if you get started and now you need a legitimate loan increase. So both agencies say no loan increase. You can't just, you know, if, you have, if the uh, desktop comes in higher, for example, you can't increase the loan amount with it. Your loan amount's got to stay the same. But we all know that change happens with mortgage borrowers. And if you really do need to walk through going back and get a full appraisal, you're going to be pushing that loan all the way back to address change of circumstance and uh, the increased appraisal fee and really make sure you've got yourself buttoned up on that one if you uh, decide you need to go back for a legitimate increase in the loan amount. Um, so policies are being set around that. Good luck, everybody out there as you pull those together. Uh, yeah. I also wanted to make sure, yep, on the self-employed, people were clear on that. So mm -hmm. the self-employed borrower, as long as you have the 2020 tax return, which most of us are getting anyway, any now anyway, um, as long as you've got that, then those uh, older requirements are going away with the exception of the verification still has to be done within 20 business days of the note. So just a heads up there, I just wanted to clarify that aspect. I think I said it kind of fast last week. And just wanted to make sure everybody was clear that you've got to have those 2020 tax returns to be able to get the new um, waiver, or I shouldn't say waiver, the going back to old, or I don't yep. need to get the bank statements. Still need all the P&Ls, and make sure you get that stuff right this time of year, um, but no more bank statements. And then last but not least, don't forget the comment window period is still open for the uh, Consumer Financial Protection Bureau's request for public comment about fees. They're trying to get to the bottom of what are junk fees, when are lenders overcharging. There's a lot in here that has to do more with payday lenders. So please, as an industry, we've got to comment on this They know that, so that you know we are not upcharging on our fees. We've got enough regulation and redisclosure going on that, you know, we don't usually go down, most lenders don't go down that road, but we're still going to have to defend ourselves in here and make sure CFPB is very well aware of, uh, you know, in the mortgage industry, what our position is on various fees. So the interesting part for this to comment is you've got to go to their news section of their website. It's not under the rules open for comment yet. So I found it because they had a press release, and you want to make sure that you grab it there to go out to comment. Uh, so a little bit of a heads up there. And last but not least was the, uh, I sent you a, a link, Dave, the housing funding uh, program mm -hmm. is open. A lot of states are approved. 
and there is a chart out there. Some states are still in pilot programs, so check out that um, homeowner's fund that's available for your homeowners who are struggling in foreclosure and make sure they get um, available assistance from the almost $10 billion that came out of the U.S. Treasury to help fund borrowers in foreclosure. So um, we sent the link to Dave so he can put it on his website. Uh, So that's out there for your borrowers and friends who are struggling to make their mortgage payments. Back to you, Dave. That's good to report. Also, last week on the 8th, on Tuesday, last week we released – The interview that uh, Jack and I did with um, with uh, 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 Alan Weiss, uh, excuse me, Alan Weiss. I keep Mm -hmm. that was really interesting, Alice, about the appraisals and encourage all of our listeners to go out and listen to the interview I did with Alan Weiss. It was just fantastic. What he does with Weiss Analytics as well as uh, ValShield is fascinating. Um, Very interesting. And encourage every one of our listeners to go back and check it out. And Alice, I'd love to get your thoughts on it when you get a chance to go listen to it. I know you've been super busy, but uh, several people have already commented on say, ask Alice about this. I love the, the technology they built there at the Union Home. Uh, they ask Alice technology. And so someone picked up on that when we talked earlier. You said we could just say ask Alice. So this is my ask Alice request. What does she think? Is this some of the information and the technology that's in there? This is going to help with the appraisal issues. So anyway, people want to know what Alice thinks. Imagine that. Thank you, Alice. Right. Appreciate it so much. I know you got to run to a meeting, so have a great day, and I look forward to talking back, getting you back here next week. I appreciate it. Alan Pollock is here with a tech update this week. Alan, good to hear from you. Uh, we got some feedback on that survey you talked about, and I know several people have reached out for information about it, but Alan, uh, what you got this week? Oh, yeah, great survey. And uh, for anyone that likes um, that kind of information, there's also ICE Mortgage just announced that they call their Technology Innovation Award. So that one was more focused, the the survey on borrower sentiment in the industry. So it's kind of interesting you try and tie borrowers to what what's happening with tech, right? And so with ICE Mortgage, you know, having so many vendors integrating with them, you want to check that out too. They just announced their 2022 Technology Innovation Award winners, and um, they also explain why they picked their top picks, which leverages basically automation and data and looking at better experience for borrowers. So check that out. Um, and anyone else needs a link to the survey from last week, feel free to message us and we'll, we'll share that link with you uh, promptly. Also, get this, David, uh, $24 billion will be spent this year on Valentine's Day, and it's actually oh. – not as much as last year. Actually, 2020, 27 billion was spent, but it dropped in 21 to 21 billion, and now it's back to 23 billion. So a little short of the 27 billion in 2020, but still at all-time highs. And restaurant reservations are up 30% in 2022. I don't know if that's 30% since pre-pandemic or average over X amount of years, but um, we're on the move. We're back out. We're we're doing great stuff. Um, just wish there was more inventory on the market and rates would stay low, right? That would be the ultimate wake up and have Christmas morning every day. And (laughs) it would work for everybody, but let's talk about uh, Super Bowl, right? Yeah. So all kinds of crazy stuff on the Super Bowl. One thing which I thought was really, really interesting was uh, rocket mortgage. Uh, So two things going on. They had a square, uh, you know, everyone bets on the squares for the Super Bowl. Mm -hmm. Well, they have their own contest online. They gave $50,000 for things like touchdowns, field goals, et cetera. So if you were 
you happen to have been a part of that, I'm sure there was millions of people that did it. Uh, hopefully you won the 50 grand. But um, separate than that, they, did, they didn't have as many mortgage articles or mortgage advertisements as I thought there would be. There was uh, basically, it was a dream house, a Barbie dream house with Anna Kendrick and Barbie, and they had a staring contest, and, you know, they basically went through, you know, you can you can make up anything you want. So uh, it's on YouTube. It's all over YouTube. Uh, if you want to check it out, please do. And, and then, David, what's really funny is uh, some of the ads, I think we've completely shifted as to <laughs> how we look at what the advertisements are. So I think the yeah. best one this year was McDonald's. It's just a bunch of people that say, can I get a, and they basically pull up to the drive-thru window and they're not sure what they want. And they just, they all, they all say, can I get a, and they just paused. And then someone finally said, can I get some chicken nuggets? And they said, well, what sauce do you want? And they said, uh, so it was really funny. That I think hilarious. all drive-thru, we have a lot of experience. It. Yeah. Uh, yeah. By the I way, do that at Starbucks. When I pull up there, I would like, uh, oh, yeah. Crap, what do I, yeah, same thing. Yep. Yeah, you're all prepared, right? You're like, I'm not going to mess it up this time. And and then they say, okay, your order is $15. And you're like, wait, I wasn't done. <laughs> but anyways, uh, McDonald's hit the nail on the head with that one. That was uh, Peyton Manning was in at least four commercials. So he's probably the mm-hmm. the most commercialized Super Bowl, you know, yes. ex-athlete. Um, the other one that was really good, the NFL football commercial is pretty good. It was like Indians in the cupboard and it was obviously sponsored by the NFL. And it was these right. players basically come out of a video game and come to life in somebody's house and they mess up the entire house. That was really good. Trash, but the good. big one, good. right? This was called the crypto bowl. That was the big term all mm-hmm. week long. And I thought crypto was going to, was going to jump by the way, Bitcoin is, is only up just a hair. I mean, less than a percentage. But it, on a seven-day volume, it's down. Almost all of the major cryptocurrencies are yeah. down on a seven-day volume. So it clearly didn't didn't. And I'm not going to try and t- steal your thunder, Matt, because I don't know how to talk really talk about the market as well as you do. But if you just you know you can go to crypto.com and take a look at the different coins and such. But uh, nobody really had a bump. However, the best crypto commercial, David, was Coinbase, and what they mm-hmm. had was music for 30 seconds and a QR code that did nothing but bounce around the screen. And I did scan the QR code and I wound up with, um, with a website and a special offer, $15 if you signed up. Then there was eToro, there was FTX and a bunch of other ones. FTX was like, don't be like Larry David. For those of you that have seen the HBO special Curb Your Enthusiasm, uh, was very much Larry David style. And at the end they said, don't be like Larry, which was great. Uh, the other big thing, David, talking about trends, right, and where we're going and how I'm going to connect it to mortgage in a second, we'll see. Electric cars. I mean, Chevy yeah. must have spent a ton on the electric Silverado because not only was it on TV, but in the evening when I went back to get some work done before Monday, every it was it was all over the Internet. It was all yeah. over YouTube. So they have, they have invested a ton of money, but there was a lot of electric cars. Um, I even saw randomly scrolling through Facebook, somebody said that their kid wanted the new Hyundai electric car. They now want a Hyundai because it's electric. So mm-hmm. it was uh, a lot. And then streaming networks, right? Lots of commercials yep. for streaming networks. So we've gone to where everyone had cable connected to their house, to their mobile device, paying for a service, by the way, a consumable, monthly, reoccurring consumable for streaming networks. Seems to be definitely um, resilient to the economy and to inflation. And then the other thing on top of that is Uber Eats, right? There were some things about Metaverse. There were some things about, you know, uh, Super Bowl had their own app. But everything was about mobile, was about the new way of going, how borrowers are. Not very much on smart speakers. If you remember years prior, it was all smart speakers. There was one where the smart speaker did everything it shouldn't, like it interrupted like a human being. So there was a guy, <laughs> he was on a date with his girlfriend or his wife, and 
everything he said, the smart speaker, because it's always listening, jumped in and said that he was lying or he was incorrect about that, which is really funny. But yeah, that that was it. So borrowers are going mobile. We are borrowers. We're going mobile. That's where everything's going. So uh, just kind of throw that out there, um, you know, for this week, kind of use the time up to talk about the, the, that. And then, David, I'll leave us with this, um, you know, talking about education. I talked about access lending last week. Uh, they're not a sponsor of the program. Maybe we'll talk to them and get them to be sponsors, but I just love what they're doing. And somebody made a comment to me this week that I wanted to share, um, you know, education opens opportunity, right? Mm-hmm. And so what do you call someone that graduated from dental school, the first and the last in their graduate program? <laughs> Any guess? Oh, no. be good. No, not- That's it. It's a dentist, right? Talks like a duck, walks like a duck. It's probably a duck. So education opens opportunity. It's super important in our industry. So let's continue that trend, especially knowing how hard it can be to break into this great industry we're in, especially in the technology side, right? Unless you know someone, unless you have the tools and the connections and the integrations and the cash, you can't break in. Let's change that, right? Let's help people get into this industry to continue to make things, this digital effort to continue to bring bright ideas, bring borrowers in, bring young people in. Let's get people to help us continue to expand the technology to move us forward. So that's it for this week, David, and uh, looking forward to the topic. Good, good job. Yep. Good. I appreciate it. Thank you so much, Alan. Get a hold of Alan. Many of you emailed me or wanted my information. Uh, so Alan can be reached directly. You can email me if you want or get a hold of Alan directly at A-L-L-E-N at TMS-Advisors.com. Alan, thank you so much. Appreciate it. Have a great rest of your week. Bye-bye. I was thinking about you when I was the, with the Super Bowl ad because I know you and I both. My wife says, you pay more attention to the ads than you do the game. And I said, well, I'm watching both equally. And ads are awesome. The game is awesome. Awesome. The yeah, 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 exactly right. All right, friend. Appreciate it so much. Folks, that wraps up the weekly mortgage updates. You can listen to this on each and every one of the previous episodes, or you can listen to each segment by going up in the menu bar up above and look, do the drop downs and you'll see it. You can listen to Alan's segments, Alan's segments, Bats. Everyone's segments are just stacked up there. And we love hearing from you on the app and look for some suggestions as well as what we could do better to help you. So, Appreciate it. But now we're going to go move into the hot topic segment. So those of you listening live, just stay right here. Those of you listening on a downloaded basis, just move on to the next podcast that's on the list. Welcome today to this. Let me say that again. We'll edit that part up. Welcome to today's hot topic segment. We've got as our special guest, Russ Anderson. Jack is joining me in this interview as well, because Jack and Russ used to work together, both retired from the mortgage industry Actually, they both are kind of slipping back into it. Retirement is hard. This industry is like a hard thing to get. It's easy to get in and hard to get out. Uh, so anyway, it's one of those things I can't retire. don't want to. I enjoy it so much. But anyway, they step much. What They both stay up on much what is going on in the industry. Both are joining me in the consulting business as well. So we're thrilled to have that. And uh, we're going to be talking today about cash management and its importance to any business, no matter what your size, especially IMBs that are smaller, you need to pay attention. Russ, Jack, good to have you both on the podcast. Appreciate you. Thanks, David. Thank you, David. You bet. So let's get into this. So when you look at um, treasury and cash management, I would love to have you kind of give a, a broad definition of what that is and start broadening. 
get, well, wait a minute. I'm, before we do that, I want to get in and start off by getting some insights into yourself. I'm, I am really interested in getting into this topic. But for those of our listeners that have not heard from you or not aware of you, uh, Russ, tell us a little bit about yourself and your background. Yeah, sure. I'd be happy to. Um, I've got about 30 years in banking, um, preceded by military service in front of that. But um, I've spent uh, most of the career in, in uh, commercial banking and, you know, dealing with energy companies and uh, real estate companies and just normal commercial and industrial businesses. And then uh, that was for the first half of the career. The last half of the banking career, 15 years, uh, I've dedicated it to the, the mortgage space. Um, at Texas Capitol at the time, um, you know, it was one of those things where uh, once it got, like you said, once it gets in your blood, it's kind of hard to get out. And I was, uh, I was hooked by yeah. you know, the mortgage industry and uh, probably one of the very few people with a focus on treasury or cash management who had uh, been focused specifically on the mortgage industry. So I'm, that's what I've been doing. I, I'm really interested in how you made the transition from what you did previously into what what drew you to the treasury cash management side of the business. I mean, there's there's got to be an aptitude, but what was it that really appealed to you and you went down that path? Well, I took a look around the market. Actually, when I was first approached and asked if I would be interested in doing it, I said, absolutely. There's, I think there's untapped potential here because um, a lot of the companies really don't pay that much of attention to their treasury or cash management, particularly when originations are you know, gushing. Um, mm-hmm. You're not you're not all that concerned with it, but especially now when you've got originations waning a little bit, you've got to pay more and more attention to you know how you get your money in, how you're dispersing it, and what kind of information do you need along the way, which is really just what cash management is. Yeah. So true. That is just so true. Uh, again, when you look at cash management, it sounds like a big complicated topic and it's for the big guys, but it really is relevant to, um, to any business. And I, I'd like to have you expound on that. You know, why is it relevant yeah. to any business of any size? It, it is important. And, and a lot of people ignore it. It's important. And I, I think you and I were talking about it when I first started in the industry 30 years ago, I'd look around at our accounts and see who had a hundred thousand dollars or more and, and try and figure out, you know, if it made sense for them to be in a cash management or treasury management relationship with the bank. And it, it usually does. I think, you know, the inflation, the numbers up a little bit, but um, when you are looking at what you're doing with your bank um, all cash management really provides you is what is called an account analysis statement, which is nothing more than an invoice for bank services. So what happens a lot of times is people will choose a bank that is, is easier to deal with because they're down the street or whatever, and it just may not be the best solution for them because while they may find all their services are free, um, they may be leaving a lot of money on the table as a yeah. result because they, they may have more balances in there than is required to pay for their banking services. And what analysis does, it tells you exactly what that invoice looks like. Yeah. So, so it's important so, for every business. Yeah, it really is. And Jack, you are, you championed this podcast. You recommended it for many of our IMBs uh, that listen to the podcast. We have so many IMBs that listen to the podcast. I'm so grateful that you did. So I'm going to go over to you, let you ask some questions. Well, certainly. Thank you, David. Uh, Russ, uh, can you help our listeners understand what are the specific needs of independent mortgage banks when it comes to basic cash management? 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, the one thing I always go in and talk to uh, mortgage banks about is that, you know, I, I'm familiar with, with the flow of cash through a mortgage bank. And, you know, it all starts with, you know, loans and wires. Wire transfer services are really important for um, how you're moving money in and out of your account. And uh, you need to be associated with a bank that does that efficiently. There's uh, ACHs for, for payroll, for paying vendors, or it's just electronic movement of funds. Um, and then, you know, you get down to your yield on deposits, which as we all have learned today, um, yields may be going up, so it's going to become more and more important. It's going to get more and more attention um, from, from uh, different businesses. But in mortgage industry specifically, it's important to take a look at those ways that you're moving money into the, your, your company, how you're moving it out. Is it the most efficient way to do it um, within the mortgage bank that you're in, and then the yield on the deposits you have with the bank, and are you getting the best bang for your buck? When you're you looking know, at well, yield, sometimes yeah. sometimes the best solution is on an account analysis statement, um, and that's, again, you know, only available if you're in a treasury management relationship with your bank. You can really analyze what you're getting for your money on those things. Yeah, uh, Russ. Um, you know, a lot of banks today are are focused on fee income uh, generated from operating accounts being housed at their bank. Uh, you know, can you talk a little bit about you know why fee income is important, or uh, this type of treasury fee income is important to banks, and and how does that really uh, align with? You know the value of a relation operating account relationship with an independent mortgage bank. Sure. Yeah. I mean, it, it's going to become more and more important to banks as you go forward as yield spreads um, narrow. The income becomes more and more important. And one of the things I always prided myself on when I was going to talk to a client was I would take a look at their current analysis statement and find the extraneous costs that are associated with with their relationship with the bank. It's important to constantly analyze that stuff because if you're uh, overpaying or paying for something you don't even use, which I found on innumerable occasions or something that they didn't really understand what it was, but they just got sold it because it's generated fee income for their, their institution, um, we would put a stop to that. But um, yeah, the, it, the fee income comes off of all the, the items I just named, wires, ACHs, the information reporting systems, some information reporting systems and we're costly than others. Um, some will throw some things in there that you really don't need, uh, especially as an independent mortgage bank. Um, there's certain things that are needed, some that aren't. And But they'll, the, a lot of banks really will try to, to plus up all the different line items on an account analysis statement just to generate more and more fee income. And that's something you really have to be careful in, in watching. And all that stuff is negotiable. When you have high volumes of wires or ACHs, uh, you can get a lower price. Um, but really what you want to do is work with your bank on a, on a holistic basis where you're talking about both the credit side and the deposit side and how do you get the best stick relationship from that bank. You can adjust pricing on one side or the other, either on the credit side or the deposit side, um, so that everybody gets what they want out of the deal. Can you... You know, you've mentioned account analysis several times. Can can you really get a little more granular in what goes into a, account analysis? Uh, and 
and why that's important to the independent mortgage bank? Absolutely. So account analysis is nothing more than an invoice for bank services. It'll start with, you know, all the different deposit products you use, and then it'll work into the different areas, ACH usage, wire usage, information reporting usage, and any other kind of products. Commercial card sometimes is on those those analysis statements too. So it lists at the bottom of analysis statement all the bank services you use and then gives you a bottom line of what that costs. On the top half of the analysis statement is your deposit um, your, your deposit information. So it'll list how many what balances you have with the bank and what you what earnings credit you get for having those balances in the bank. And that earnings credit goes to offset the fees that are on that bottom line. So there are two different things you really need to look at on an account analysis statement if you're uh, any business, and in particular a mortgage bank, is you look at your fees first and see what they're charging you for each different line item. And then what you do is you go back up and see what kind of credit are you getting for the deposits you have with the bank. Sometimes that earnings credit rate is the best place to get your yield on your money. Uh, it just depends on you know, your particular bank and how they, they price their, their earnings credit. But that is really all analysis is. It's just an invoice for bank services with uh, an offsetting earnings credit, which is basically stock dollars in most institutions where it offsets your, your fees. If you're trying to manage it to the nth degree, you try to get that earnings credit to exactly match what your invoice for services are, and anything excess is earning you actual interest somewhere else. Thank you, David. You but, wanna... Yeah, what I'm, what I'm, I've got some questions coming in from several of our listeners, and I'm just fascinated by this topic. And part of it is showing there is, a, and I'm going to say this, listeners, and not in a critical way, but it's there's a lot of ignorance when it comes around cash management, treasury and cash management. They go and look, and I, I don't think I have any reason to look at this. I'm look, and you've already touched on some really good points, but if you were to be working with somebody. And, uh, with, and starting advising them, where would you start this conversation at? I always start by looking at their account analysis statement with their current bank. But you're talking and about they're not getting. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and then I'll go through that and I'll take a look at to see what they're doing. It, it is important. And the reason why it's important is, and it's not important on the margins. I mean, if you're, if you're, like I said before, if you're gushing cash at the time, then it, it, it's a little less important. Um, but if you're if you're in a time where it's it's you know where originations aren't what they once were, then it becomes more important to watch exactly what's going on with your cash in and out of your your company. There are ways to maximize what you have um, in in your bank account and earn a little extra interest income if you if you know how to to manage this process right, right. efficiently. Right. So, I mean, I, I look at some of the opportunities that are there, but when, when you were talking about this, and you touched on this briefly, but I'd like to have you expand a little bit more on some of the mistakes that IMBs make when it comes to the basic cash management. I, I think that's there's a lot of mistakes that are made, and probably one of them is not even looking at it, just a, you know, not being aware of the opportunities here. Yeah, it, it is a mistake, and What's, what's happening, a lot of folks, will, when they open up their shop, they do what you know, any other business does. They open up a bank account down the street because it's convenient, and that's what, you know, that's what they want to do. And maybe it's a, a guy who you, they happen to know that, that have, have a, a, you know, an account officer down, 
down the street at the bank. And so they use them for their, their bank account. And it, it's probably a community bank, or most times when I look yep. at it, it's a community bank. It's not charging right, them any you. fees and just keeping their money over there and all all good, except for the fact that when their, when their mortgage banks grow, then they're losing money on, yep. on leaving it in a situation like that because there's, there's money to be earned on that excess cash. Yeah, which so, is really getting you know, into leverage, the, the leverage component of all this, right? Exactly. And there's a time where you, you overcome that um, community bank free service because you've, you've got more cash in there than can possibly, they can possibly need to offset the services. But there's no way to use what products they have to uh, um, continue to leverage your cash up and make a little extra interest income on the side. Yeah, I've got a question that's coming in from one of our listeners right now, and it's, it's actually for both of you. Uh, Jack, did you have experience with this, with cash management beforehand? How much of an appreciation did you have uh, for this? I'm sure when you've run Texas Capital Bank, I mean, you've been in banking forever, so maybe a lot. But I think the implication is I think they're hoping that you didn't have a lot until you met Russ and he helped create the awareness. But but going back to a lot of the questions that are rolling in, and there are a lot of them, it's all around. I had no idea uh, how much I could make a difference. Some of the larger ones, yes. But Jack, respond to that one question. How much knowledge did you have about cash management, treasury and cash management before you started working with Russ? Well, you know, not a lot, uh, David. I mean, look, I'll, I'll take it back to 2009. Uh, a gentleman that you know, um, Gary Ort, mm-hmm. and I are really, you know, uh, re-engineering a warehouse program. And, you know, banks covet deposits. Right. And so we were challenged to drive deposits um, through our, our warehouse lending activities. Mm-hmm. And, and at that point in the market, warehouse programs were not really linked to the ability to drive substantial deposits. And so Gary and I said, no, no, we're going to change uh, uh, this conundrum, and we're going to become significant drivers of deposits into the financial institution that we work for. And, and, And we really focused on treasury and liquidity solutions and, and cash management as part of that strategic plan. And, and it, 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 it worked beyond our wildest expectations. And, you know, to be successful at that, we really needed to partner with a, an astute treasury and liquidity officer. And so that's where Russ and I first started to work together and I mean, we went from basically zero attributed to our line of business to you know billions of dollars, David. Wow. And and so I tell you, no, I really you know didn't look uh, you know I wouldn't consider myself a cash management expert. Uh, you know, then Gary and I were challenged to drive deposits. Uh, we uh, partnered with Russ on the team. And we went places that we uh, never thought we could get. And ultimately, that strategy included we wanted to be more to our clients than just a warehouse line. We were trying to decommoditize warehouse lending. 
So if you start providing mortgage bankers with other services that are critical Mm -hmm. to the longevity and health of their business on top of the liquidity that you supply them through a warehouse line, you deepen the partnership. And it works. Yeah, that really worked. Yeah, Russ, when you came in and started doing this, how did, I mean, was there a program that existed, or did you set this up from scratch? No, we started it from scratch. Honestly, when we started, uh, took a look around in the industry, about the warehouse programs around the country were funded, meaning how, what percentage of mm-hmm. deposits funded there at about 5%. And when I <laughs> – when I started, I thought, well, you know, gosh, if you look at the, our originations, that's not going to amount to a whole lot. But then I became committed to, to funding our book at 100%, and we did. Mm. Um, we were fully funded for our entire book of business. And that was, that was a, a really great achievement for us. And then, you know, my, my goal really was to fund the whole bank, but then they told me I had to hit the brakes, so I had to stop. But <laughs> The idea behind it was it was more than just, you know, the line items on an account analysis statement. We used those, those corporate accounts to help our clients with leveraging their yields on their, what they were paying their warehouse line. So we would, we would look at it, as I had indicated earlier, as a holistic relationship. You know, what are you doing with us on the deposit side? What are you doing with us on the credit side? And mm-hmm. we didn't yeah. stop at the warehouse program. We looked at the car facilities, advanced lines, um, you name it, um, EBO lines. We would look at everything in terms of how we price both the credits and the deposits and make it a, a good deal all around. Yeah, I'm looking at a lot of questions are coming in right now. You mentioned that how you would see oftentimes a lot of you know, IMB specifically work with more of the community banks. And there's a sometimes there's a feeling that you need to work with the big, big, big super banks. But talk about what is the ideal size bank for uh, an IMB to work with when it comes to treasury management and the benefits that they can get? Is, is there a size preference that you, or a recommendation that you'd make? Yeah, I, you know, I tend to think that for uh, uh, IMB, it's better to work with a regional or a super regional bank. And the reason is one question just came in, uh, anticipated this, and they were going in, what is the difference between, between those two categories? I mean, is that an asset base? Is it locations, footprint? What, give them a yeah, little more contact on that. Footprint. Yeah, it's footprint It's and, and asset base, a little both. Um, as they spread out around the country, the regional will end up being a super regional um, mm-hmm. pretty fast if they, if they continue to acquire you know, other institutions. But the, the idea one. behind you know, just a little bit bigger of a bank is that they're going to have some products that you might need that you will need going forward. Mm-hmm. Things like you know, credit card processing or, or, or getting a, a, a card for your sales staff to use for expenses or right. um, being able to process for uh, appraisals and credit pulls and things like that for you know, credit cards. Um, better information reporting systems with, with a bank that allows you to track what's going on in your accounts and when. Um, you have more efficient ways of, of handling your payables and your receivables. So typically a community bank has some of that stuff, but it's a little bit more clunky and they don't have uh, the same, I guess, quality of, of the some of the products that we're, we're mm-hmm. talking about here to, to really meet the need of a, a mortgage bank as it, as it um, grows. And the other thing to consider, too, is 
there's always the big, you know, the big elephant in the room is the, the whole right of offset on a warehouse line. That is a concern um, if you have your warehouse line in your banking in one place, but it can be addressed, and I addressed it innumerable times to where we got everybody comfortable with what was going on. So that's that's just where you know if, if you get a line or a loan stuck on a line and and you're worried about them seizing your corporate cash, that can be addressed through the agreement. So it's it's not as big an issue as some people may think it can be. Well, we've barely scratched the surface on this big topic. And so we are going to record listeners another segment. So a part two to this interview. We're not going to do it today out of respect to everyone's time. And so uh, Jack and I are going to interview tomorrow. Uh, we're going to continue this discussion with Russ. So I'm really looking forward to doing so. And it'll be great. Jack, any comments and you want to put a teaser out there, what we can, what they can anticipate. Well, you know, we're going to talk a little bit about, uh, you know, deposits and the value of those deposits and, and you know, how they can impact your cost of borrowing on warehouse facilities, David. Uh, you know, but I don't want to lose sight of the fact that even if you don't have, um, you know, a servicing portfolio with a lot of deposits, you know, you're still – an important relationship to a bank because of the fee income that mm-hmm. the bank can generate off of your operating accounts. And that fee income, you know, has a lot of value to it. I mean, you know, bank stock analysts uh, certainly like to see, you know, a healthy share of the bank's income coming from fee income, not, right. not interest income. And so if a bank is overweight interest income, uh, you know, it, it tends to see its P.E. ratio, you know, get, you know, diminished in the, in the market. And so your fee income as a, as a smaller independent mortgage bank is important to banks. Yeah, that's really good. So we're going to get into that. And next, uh, so this week, uh, we're going to be releasing part two of this. They uh, go, keep going back to the website, looking at lending to um, – know when that is available for you to listen to an important topic. And Russ, thank you so much for uh, coming on and talking about it. Jack, thank you so much for encouraging us to talk about this important topic. So we'll continue on. I'm learning something. I've got a lot more notes here and we're going to dive deeper tomorrow when we record this and release it later this week. So Russ, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks Jack for being here with us. I appreciate it. Look forward to it. My pleasure. Thank you. You bet. Next week, we've this for this next podcast coming up next week, we talked about what's going on with interest rates and how a lot of people are looking at where interest rates are going. So we reached out to Les Parker, and he's going to join us live next week and answer a lot of questions. So uh, especially the one question I've got is he made a prediction earlier that Alice wrote down, we all wrote down because it was pretty astounding, was he said it is very possible. He didn't say it will, but it's very possible that we could see the 10-year Treasury back under 1% for a period of time. What's he talking about with that? We're going to ask him that question and many other questions next week on the Liquid on Lending Hot Topic segment. So stay tuned. We'll be back with that one next week. So, But intra-week, if you go in and see more on our website, you'll see all the new podcasts we're releasing intra-week. During that, so we've expanded beyond just the flagship podcast here we have on Mondays. 
to uh, cover more and more topics that are out there that need to get covered. And so that's a lot as a result of your quest, your requests, listeners. So appreciate it. Again, thank you to our sponsors, Finastra, Lenders One, Mobility, MMI, Modex, Mo- the MBA, Knowledge Coop, the Mortgage Collaborative, SnapDoc, Success Kit, Tool, uh, Lender Toolkit. Uh, we also, uh, Penny Mac, as well as Total Expert. Thank you so much, everybody. Have a great week. I look forward to having you back here next week. You've been listening to Lickin' on Lending, a weekly mortgage market update with your host, David Lickin of Transformational Mortgage Solutions. Join us next week, and thanks for listening.